it's very important for humanity to reconnect to our ancestors. So I was born in a small village with 600 people where the winters can go to minus 96. And on the contrary, summers can go to 100 above. So it's very extreme weather conditions. So a lot of indigenous societies, they survived because of surrendering to the cycle, natural cycle of life. Silence taught me how to hear clearly the sound of environment, how to express myself in order to connect with the nature. Mimicking birds and animal sounds are very, very important aspect of falling into trance. Altering your state, your soul visits other realms. What I am doing through music, it's awakening that DNA that carries a lot of ancestral wisdom, because we all have that gift. Just we're carrying it, it's sleeping somewhere here deep down, and the question is how we're going to have access. We've destroyed 50% of the world's forests. What message do you feel like modern society needs to hear that the ancient wisdom traditions have been holding? beautiful beings. Welcome back to the Know Thyself podcast, where every single week we get the honor, privilege, and opportunity to sit down with a brilliant mind to learn more about the true nature of self and the world around us at deeper and deeper levels every single week. Our guest today was born in Arctic Siberia, which is one of the most cold and remote inhabited places on planet Earth. She was raised in a village of only 600 people, and she was raised up until 18 years with no internet, no technology, and her ancestors learned how to survive through their deep connection with nature. And it's with that that she learned to talk, commune with the plant and animal kingdom, and now she uses that as with ceremony and song, and she travels the world sharing her wisdom and her voice in the world. So Snow Raven, thanks for coming on. Wow, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for uh, for the beautiful introduction mm -hmm. of my entire culture and of course having me and my ancestors today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so looking forward to diving into this conversation. It's going to be very fascinating. Uh, we're recording this pretty close to you, but this will be released on Halloween, which is just coincidence, but no coincidence. <laughs> very fascinating because today's conversation, I'm so excited to just dive into what it was like to live and grow up and um, have such a deep connection to nature in a way that is so foreign, especially to Western society. I would love for you to open up and sharing just a little bit of the context of the story of where you came from as it's such a big part of your journey and your life story. Can you share a little bit about how, where you were born and how you were raised? Wonderful. So let me take you to the uh, journey to my childhood. Yeah. Um, so I was born almost like pre-Soviet Union collapse. And I was born in, as you said, with the, in a small village with 600 people. But I had a luxurious lifestyle uh, in terms of I had electricity <laughs> uh, compared to my grandfather who uh, just two generations behind me, but even that at that time, my people were living in a very traditional way, no electricity, surviving through this severe cold winters where the winters can go to minus 96 by Fahrenheit or 72 by Celsius. And on the contrary, summers can go to 100 above. So it's very extreme weather conditions. And the source of heating was um, a fireplace and also 
cows, the cattle who would live to, um, next to uh, people. It would be a wall and door and then they would provide this warmness. So I was um, born in very, uh, let's say, comfortable, you know, life. But it's still, I call it comfortable uh, because... Um, as I said, we had an electricity and 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 then um, TV, but I still didn't have like a water coming from the sink, or our toilet was outside, or our refrigerator it's uh, under the ground because we have a permafrost. Yeah, and then I just moved to the United States five years ago, and then having all of this more comfortable life is just uh, brings me. Um, back to the childhood through these memories, I can retrieve something from there, some information, and and then compare it with my uh, life here, being in the bigger world. And in that uh, dance of memories, um, there are a lot of interesting thoughts that I can share through my music. Mm. So it's um, it's an, it's been an amazing journey uh, to come here and bring the uh, wisdom mm -hmm. of my ancestors. I could imagine it would have been such a contrast. And did you have like a culture shock when you first came over to the Western world? Because obviously being raised and living in uh, in such a completely different way to how most people are, are, are used to, um, at least in the States, you know, what was it tough integrating in such di in a different way? Yeah, it is very civilized world, right? It's just uh, um, opening the door of a bigger world, and it's uh, the country where a lot of people wants to come. And coming from small, remote place, um, and uh, opening that door, it was it was shocking. But that shock actually went into creativity. I brought that. I kind of I was dancing with that creative energy and and then um, that actually helped me to understand that the earth it's a uh, nature it's underneath of big cities the heartbeat of the mother earth is just beating whatever I go to so that helps me you know to um, feel that I'm at home wherever I go to mm. so that's how just uh discovering bigger world and having um, some travelings around the world uh, kept me to go back in my dreams to my homeland. So mm -hmm. it was really, really um, helpful for me yeah. to do that. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about the spirituality of your people and where you come from and what, what a shaman is and the way that you relate to it from where you're at? Yeah. Yeah, I, I just love sharing about uh, my culture. Um, the core of shamanism, it's a um, connection, the human being connecting to nature and connecting through the nature with, uh, with the whole cosmos. So, Oyunahan, which is Saha shamanism, um, it has a fundamental view as um, uh, three worlds, concept of three worlds, lower, middle, and higher. And um, we believe um, that all of these three worlds are connected. Um, so the lower world is the realm of fear, 
kuttal, and it's a very primal survival energy. The um, energy that is being born here in the lower chakra could be elevated if you learn how to do that. And uh, it can go upper to the middle world. And in middle world, we consider it as a, everything tangible and physical. And um, you can even look at it from the perspective of body. So our physical body is the middle world. And um, so the middle world is the realm of taptal and love. And we believe if we build our tangible world, physical world out of love, we can create a really sustainable life, sustainable home for ourselves. Then if we learn how to elevate that energy towards the higher world, which is you had the realm of uh, gratitude, mahtal, uh, we can connect to the um, deities, we believe. And we have 12 different levels of sky and each deity lives in the sky and responsible for human problems. And therefore we have shamans who can connect um, to those deities and to the certain level of the sky. And I would love to talk about deep down a little bit and, and in, into that aspect too. But here's the, the uh, whole concept of shamanism is to learn how to dance between those three realms, lower kuttal, middle uh, taptal, and the higher mahtal, and being able to um, fall into trance and deliver uh, very important messages to the community. Uh, as a shaman, you are servant of the community. You no longer belong to your normal life. And that is very important aspect of, um, of shamanism and, and being a shaman in my culture. Mm. Yeah, it's got to be such a, it's such a unique lens in which you're bringing, you know, and I'm excited to dive into all the avenues that we're going to in this conversation about how, you know, certain indigenous wisdom can really be applied in these modern times to alleviate a lot of the suffering and heal a lot of the separation and division and our loss of connection to the natural world. Uh, but before we do that, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how Snow Raven came about and your name. When did that become a thing for you and what does that mean to you? The name Snow Raven uh, in Saha, it's a swar in uh Saha native tongue. So we call sometimes Yakut uh, language, but uh, we call ourselves as a Saha. And uh, Suor was given by Saha shaman woman back in my homeland about seven years ago. Um, and I didn't accept it. I was kind of, I felt that it's very heavy because um, Suor. Uh, raven's energy as a totem animal. Um, it spiritual meaning behind that is um, mental death and rebirth. And seven years ago, it was very heavy for me to embrace that. And you know, when you uh, resist, that persist. So that energy was coming, keep coming to me. And then once I accepted it, my wings were just. I felt them very dry and ready to fly. So I spread it wide and that's how Snow Raven became my spiritual and stage name here in the Western culture. And it, it's, it is also becoming very close um, to my heart. And there is also a very interesting aspect. The snow um, aspect is ravens, they're everywhere in the world and they can survive in minus 96 
they don't migrate, they don't fly away. They stay with us. It's almost like a companion for survival. And it's just an amazing how to like comprehend how this bird without any fur, it's just a feather, no fat, they can survive that. And they don't um, find warm spot under roofs or something. They are deep down in a forest nesting there. Sometimes I can hear their like a wing flapping um, in the very like early winters. And then you cannot see, you just hear the sound because it's very foggy, frozen air. So I have very, very deep connection to ravens and they follow me everywhere I go to. And yeah, it's just um, becoming part of my bones. I can feel it. Hmm. Yeah. So you feel that energy of the raven of death and rebirth is carried in how you share your music and uh, how you show up in the world. Obviously, you said you kind of resisted accepting that because understandable, you know, having the energy of supporting people in the death and rebirth process, I feel like could be a little scary or maybe you were fearful and resistant of it. But uh, but that's beautiful. So you feel like that's how you mainly show up now and how uh, the energy of Snow Raven then moves in the world. Yeah, it's just um, also my personal, you know, I would say uh, something that dying here constantly and then being reborn kind of admitting and 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 um, meeting those processes in the body and it's also spiritual it goes it touches very much the personal and and also when you uh, go through that process and learn how to surrender that to surrender to that cycle of life um, then you can help others to go through the exa exactly same process. And then I project it into whole humanity. Mm. So, and then as a collective consciousness, we also quite often goes through, go through that death and rebirth process. Mm. So, yeah, so I can feel more and more that energy uh, starting to come. Yeah. Yeah. So how does your voice and your song and music, how does that become the instrument or vehicle in which you do your shamanic work and then you do your healing work? How did that start to like awaken within you? My grandmother taught me how to sing traditional songs. You know, I um, sing as, from the moment as I remember myself. And um, she uh, taught me this kalak singing technique and traditional songs called toyuk um, that you quite often use for uh, as an invocation song to connect with the spirits and uh, do certain ceremonies and ahuachai, which is uh, a circle dance where there's a one lead singer and everybody else repeats after that singer. And we go clockwise and we dance and sing at the same time, uh, elevating the energy to the higher realms. So my mother, grandmother taught me uh, the singing techniques and I was all of a sudden singing with elders together. So it was nice to, to be surrounded by that. And in, in the summer solstice ceremonies, we call it uh, We have a lot of ohuachai, a lot of toyuk, um, sang by elders and kids and young people. So she wanted me to be part of that. Hmm. Yeah, that's how I learned. And then how did the animal noises start? Like, how did you start? Has that, was that something you've done for, you've done for a while? But like, how did that become a part of what you do and share and, you know, guide others through? I'm just curious about how that came about. 
Yeah, it's. I remember first time I heard the sound of wilderness. It was a cuckoo bird, mm. and they usually start um, do the uh, sound call each other um, in May, and. Um, with the first sound of cuckoo bird, we recognize, oh, our spring has started. And there is no like a May 2nd or May 15 that our spring starts. It's just all following the natural cycle of life. And I heard this sound on the hill, on the northern hill. And then another cuckoo bird was doing, like answering to that sound. So it was And I could hear the echoes and delays between them. And it became like, and I was super fascinated by that natural effect, almost like a tail that comes from that sound of the bird. Because I live, I mean, just simply surrounded by, by the forest, I could go even without my parents to the forest and sit there and listen all the other sounds so i would say silence silence taught me how to hear clearly the the sound of environment and then the mother nature uh, taught me how to express myself in that environment in order to connect with the nature so that what what was happening the first time i started to like just mimicking cuckoo bird sounds <laughs> and they would answer sometimes and then as a kid you're like wow they're playing with me they want to communicate so the silence is something that i i'm missing today being in the big city mm. and back in my homeland silence is um, because we don't have that much cars in a small village my hearing was more sharp there that's how I could hear those voice effects, right? The sound effects. And on the contrary, being here in the in the big city, it's uh, it becomes like a white noise. And my hearing, my eardrums perhaps just automatically cancels and and defends itself um, themselves. It's just like um, turns into something uh, that I don't want to pay attention. And I'm going more into inward world. But um, yeah, just recognizing that thought helped me to understand and to appreciate how we need this silence, you know, um, no matter what is happening around the world in the, in the outside world, the silence, inner silence, it's very, very important. So I'm like kind of trying to learn and master that inner silence within me being yeah. in a bigger world. I'm sure so interesting to navigate as it's easy to find your silence within when you're in an environment that is inherently more silent. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I feel like the real testament is to, on one side, see how you can cultivate it in an area that is noisy and see how you can self-source that silence within. Uh, but on the other side, also realize that the way that modern society is built is not conducive towards a healthy mind and body that can access that silence really readily, you know? And so I find myself, especially moving to an area that has more nature and going on trails where I can cultivate and, and access that silence more easily around me is really important. Um, but that's beautiful. So as you started to cultivate and listen to that silence, 
a lot of these voices um, and animal sounds started to come through. And so, yeah, would you walk us through maybe some like how how those came about, um, which ones you've you've chosen to learn and, and to mimic, and then what that means to you? Like, what what's the purpose the purpose that they serve? The tools in shamanism, tools to uh, or uh, in order to fall into trance. Um, there's so many of them. And then to fall into trance. Yeah. So the tools to fall into trance um, are very important for shamanism. And um, if I um, go back to the shamanism and explain what is that and kind of uh, why do we use that tool, I wanted to explain that the word shaman, saman from Tungus culture, uh, it came from our area. And it means uh, the person who knows. So it came from the reindeer herders, Tungus and Evenk people. As a, I would say, term, terminology was, or as a word into English, uh, into Western culture, uh, as a shamanism, but as a phenomena, it exists around the world. And there's something about the human experience that we all go through that process through process of becoming healers and teachers for ourselves. And the shaman is the person who um, learns how to deal with energy that goes through the body. So we believe that our bodies as a device, they can react to the um, energy. If it's too big, it can shake or having very similar symptoms um, to uh, epilepsy or schizophrenia. Uh, so I'm, I'm using here the Western diagnosis. We don't diagnose people with those words, but on the contrary, we ask shaman and elder shaman come and um, communicate with a future shaman. And then imagine the future shaman quite often goes through the process of etteni, and the etteni, it's like a um, um, very devastating um Sickness, it's a burden. Um, it's the sickness that is quite often related to mental health issues and also non-diagnosed pain in the body. And then the elder shaman comes and um, helps the future shaman uh, to go through that process of rite of passage, uh, process of learning how to deal with that energy and almost like a dancing with that, negotiating, communicating, and uh, once they learn how to do that, they can uh, bring a lot of useful uh, messages from the straight from the source. So we have this phones, smartphones downloading data from uh, web of internet, but the shamans they download through their bodies uh, data from web of life, and it's unlimited data there, right? Well designed by by the creator and um, so the shamans would be the people who, who um, find if someone lost in taiga or they would find some game meat and send hunters there they would do certain ceremonies uh, cleaning of the house or land purification from the harmful spirits or they would execute also they would do wedding ceremonies funeral birthdays, the adulthood, the initiation to the adulthood. Um, they also 
work with elements of weather. Uh, they could call rain when there's a dry season, or they are true healers who do magical, magical um, results, such as like healing cancer, or they can uh, adjust the bones, or they're herbalists. Uh, there are certain types of shaman, like, and types are, they come from what kind of uh, sickness they deal with. And then the highest, the 12th sky shaman is the person who uh, connects with the extraterrestrials. So they can do everything that uh, all the other shamans do. And on top of that, they can communicate with other uh, entities from other planets. And my uh, teacher shaman, Savey, who is a Tungus shaman, he, um, he was the 12th sky shaman. And I had an honor and privilege to sit with him in, in the ceremony and uh, receive a permission from, through him from the spirits to play drum, shamanic drum. Because in my culture, we don't uh, beat the drum without any intention and purpose and without permission. So there are certain tools to fall into trance in shamanism. Um, I find it as a... Mimicking birds and animal sounds, um, singing, um, dancing, playing instruments. So this for oh, it could oh and and also the storytelling. So this all the forms of art is it? It's very familiar, right? So a lot of people sing and dance, but if you look at from the shamanic point of view it's actually those are actually a tool to fall into trance or even bring you back to your body when when you are into trance that's why in a lot of shamanic um, ceremonies shamans usually they have rattles they have shakers they have drum or and they sing and dance so i think it starts from the dancing and um have you felt when you um dance you you become more flexible and there's some like a sort of spaces open up in your bones or in the parts of your body. And that helps me to embody uh, sound, sound of my voice of my ancestors or mimicking birds and animal sounds uh, because our bodies are truly an instrument. Um, so it becomes an instrument, uh, like almost like an empty vessel. Usually it starts from dancing, Right, and then the uh, birds and animal sounds, mimicking of them. It's actually not a mimicking; it's a communication. It starts as a mimicking. So I, I, I have these memories how I was uh, learning to, to hear and answer back to the uh, uh, birds and animals, hearing that little details of the uh, of the sound, the echoes and delays and reverbs of the sounds of nature. Um, so I learned how to turn myself into animal or bird uh, through the imagination. And that what, what shamans do. They would, uh, you know, call their totem animals and embody uh, their anim totem animals in order to awaken the, the extra skills in them. So snow raven, right? So my totem animal, it's a raven, the first totem animal. And uh, depending on the season, a raven does um, four 
four different sounds that I can do because human voice is not capable of doing all the sounds of nature. So something that is um, comfortable to you or you connect it and also it, it comes through you easily. That's the sound uh, of, of the totem animal. And um, so the raven does the the uh, very very high tone like a ah so sound during the summertime, and spring and autumn, as I notice it, it does or sounds. And there is also winter sound, which is um, and then a mating one. Um, so I. Uh, I just heard that um, many times in that silent, you know, environment. And um, I just started to communicate with ravens and they would also answer back. Also, there is one very special sound um, which is related to the bird called Elia. And in English translation is interesting, a brown kite, but it doesn't look like the bird that I like to communicate in. So elates the sign of summer uh, and it does <laughs> sound. It's very squeaky, high, <laughs> and it just instantly uh, renews me, elevates my energy and my mood. So there's something about, you know, doing birds and animal sounds uh, that uh, also takes you from the state where you are you can you could be sad or you could your energy is low and by just mimicking it you could also elevate your energy mm. so it's really cool and yeah. i would love to try it with you too <laughs> okay if you want to <laughs> sure whatever yeah? i'm down for whatever have you ever tried <laughs> tried like uh, mimicking or talking to some no. animals I yeah no I, I don't think so <laughs> oh wow okay <laughs> so for example an owl sound um so would you mind to try with me this owl sound? Sure. It's, it's actually very meditative. So the lowest tone... Oh, first, I'm not going to teach you how to do that. Just imagine that you are uh, an owl okay. and just do like this. <laughs> and you can curve your tongue back and, and, and do... <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> very good so that sound soothes my nerve system so much it's very meditative mm. because it's a lower tone of your um, head sound so it's like so that's my lower tone today and I curve my tongue and it becomes right so I started to kind of comprehend through my mind all the sounds that I've been doing. And when I teach my students, I do that quite often, like relearning how to do the sounds and use my body as an instrument. Um, there's uh, also another sound I would love to try with you. Sure, let's uh, go for it. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I really loved your owl sound. <laughs> yeah. I've been practicing for years in my, uh, in my bedroom all alone. <laughs> just for this moment, it's my time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know I'm that an owl. the owls they can rotate their head like 360 yeah right and then when shamans do the birds or animal sounds they actually activate the skills so you can do 360 <laughs> what do you do yeah. i guess in in our imaginations it's pretty possible um so there's also one uh sound uh which is very good for men it's a sound of the the predators and the, the uh, more like a grounding sounds that connects our hips, this like a the root chakra area to the earth, and then uh, the, the bear sound, right? So bear is considered to be a king of the forest in my homeland, mm-hmm. and they're um, well respected and honored. We call it the Atara. So I would like to invite you to try a little bit bear sound. All right, let's go. Okay. <laughs> So you can imagine that you came out after the long, like eight months of cold and long winters and you're very hungry and then you're (laughs) sniffing, looking for a berry. (laughs) So let's try to find that berry. (laughs) Nice. Uh I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's uh, also an Arctic wolf, right? So there's something about Arctic wolf when you do this sound, like a long howling. It just connects me to the moon and it something releases, you know, something just... um, it's like it reminds me of freedom. So would you mind to try? Sure. <laughs> yeah. We can go a little bit farther from the microphone <laughs> yeah. and do like inhale and then <laughs> nice, right? I love doing it with a group of people too. <laughs> there are a lot of melodies in the wolf sound too. And uh, it could be like like a back and forth back and forth yeah that's legit yeah and then <laughs> another one is um reindeer breath okay have you ever seen reindeer yeah yeah so the reindeers they're not predators but they have this low tone breathing and then nomadic reindeer uh herders they um they mimic the breath of the reindeer and i remember when i ride the reindeer for the first time I was writing and then it was it was doing strange sound like a me, 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 me. And I asked, what what is doing? Is it farting? <laughs> said, no, no, it's breathing. And then the northern people, they do this a lot of interesting rhythms um, that mimic reindeer reindeers when they run long distance, like a thousands of miles in tundra. And they do that in order to pres- pre- uh, preserve their energy. So uh, I came up with Arctic Beatbox. <laughs> and um, uh, Arctic Beatbox means playing with different rhythms. So I would like to yeah. show it to you. So it's... Um, Hiya. Um. Hiya. Ah, ah. 
Beatboxing in the end. <laughs> Arctic beatboxing. Arctic beatboxing. So yeah. First. So rad. Yeah. So that's a reindeer breath, and then um, I do have this instrument. Mm, mouth harp. Yep. You know, um, America also has a mouth harp. America also has a uh, this instrument, and sometimes you can find it as a jaw harp or jaw harp. Uh, we call it homos. It's not hummus. <laughs> I'm familiar with that one. Yeah, sounds like a hummus, right? But it's hummus, K-H-O-M-U-S. Mm -hmm. And we believe that this small portable instrument, um, it came from the first sound of the hunters the, when they realized that the bow can do sound. Um, so this instrument uh, also has one string and... Um, it exists around the world. It has over different, like a hundred different types. Um, and it's made from different materials. In Japan, they do it from bamboo. There are also some of them made from bones. This one is made from iron of my homeland. And um, the um, spiritual meaning of that is we believe that it brings, it does sound healing to your uh, bones, to your cells. It repairs the cells. Um, and also it becomes an extension of your body as an instrument. And then because I'm putting it in my teeth like this. And I breathe through. There's a lot of things happening. So it, it instantly connects with your bones through my teeth. So I feel the... Uh, vibration in my skeleton and it connects me to my breath which connects me to the present time then um, for example if I move the back of my throat It does this, right? It becomes like overtone. Mm. And uh, also if I move my tongue, it does this. So you can hear how your muscles by them moving in a certain way, uh, creates the sound without any voice. Isn't it incredible? Yeah, so rad. It's just um, um, one string instrument that uh, becomes like a, an additional voice, an additional sound. We know only voice, right? Like we can sound. But um, this one is really um, very sacred instrument and I wanted to give for you and 
for your audience uh, a little mouth harp uh, composition. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so that was the lower tone one. It also uh, has different tones. This one is higher tone, mm. so I can play a little faster rhythms. shorter version of yeah like mimicking also birds and animal sounds through this uh, instrument it's uh, very fun to do and it also puts me into that altered state so you'd use all these tools one like the the initial mimicking of different animal sounds the mouth harp and these different tools to essentially get into an altered state of consciousness that would give you more access to yourself or to wisdom or uh, to healing and uh yeah, I'm just curious to continue also with the animal sounds. And this is just also fascinating. Yeah, those are all this um, reindeer breath, uh, mimicking birds and animal sounds, mouth harp and dancing is like preparation for singing. And in the shamanism, you know, you can see in the ceremonies, they sing quite often with a lot of interesting timbers. Um, you can't believe that shamans, whoa, this this is human being. And then they they uh, embody a lot of um, other people's voices. And quite often in Saha shamanism, um, shaman can embody their ancestors' voice. And we believe that they talk through the shaman. And in that uh, state, in that altered state, they can um, bring message through the singing. It's truly about how the person can embody different ancestors and um, sing, sing their through their songs, like uh, th- sing through their voices. So I'm woman, right? Um, and but I can embody like. <laughs> very low vibration, or <laughs> it's more like a higher realm sound more like a young person a woman's voice and there is um, uh, a storytelling traditional storytelling called olam in my culture um, it's a truly an embodiment of like 50 different characters in the storytelling like a theater of one person shamans they um, after coming uh, off from their transcendental journeys they tell the story uh, they translate into human language, their experiences into human language, and they tell the story which becomes Olonho in my culture. And they can channel for like three days, three nights, nonstop. And people will come and sit and um, listen 
um, and see, having own visuals. Because we didn't have electricity uh, back, you know, like two generations before me. My grandfather used to live in a very traditional way. No electricity. So imagination was the movie. And uh, people would come and participate in the um, shamanic uh, the shamanic ceremonies and having what's so called um, contact high, right? Um, I I learned it being here, and that uh, it was traditional way that the people um, just look at the shamans the way shaman moves and turn into animal and then activate their imagination and they would travel with shaman together. And I'm coming from the background without any plant medicine. We don't have any um, uh, the substances that shaman would take in order to fall into trance. They would use the stools to fall into trance and also going through the process of illness, uh, rite of passage. So the ethnic process uh, that I've spoken before, that's the one of the very powerful um, tools to uh, to define who you are. Like, are you becoming a shaman or not? Um, because in order to be a shaman in my culture, a you need to have a blood, like a straight lineage, and b uh, learn how to uh, deal with with this ethnic process. And it can last for months, years, or even decades. Depends on the strength of the shaman. Again, talking about the skies. The 12 sky shaman can can be sick for years. And uh, yeah, so this whole forms of art that I actually uh, see that we all do that in the world, right? Like I see a lot of other cultures have that. And we do it living in the city but we have different approach to that we see it as entertainment but it, it has uh a deep healing purposes and, and necessity in my culture thank you so much for sharing before we hop on to i want to talk there's a few more things that i definitely want to touch on um but was there any other animal sounds noises bird noises and then also the higher realm singing all, all that i would love for you to share a little bit more yeah, so if we go into more detailed journey through birds and animal sounds, um, so there are certain birds and animal sounds that instantly connect you to the heart realm. So this predator, low vibration sounds connects me here. And then the heart chest area, it's quite often that something comes, reverberates here. Uh, it could be Morianka bird. That little bird lives by the Arctic Ocean. It's small but very brave. Uh, there's also a bird sound, um, the boreal owl. Um, there's also um, loon. So the loon does this. very mysterious hunting sound so it's just um reverberates here and uh i feel connected in this part of my body and there are also some uh bird sounds that are that have high tones and i feel mostly here through my third eye crown chakra and beyond uh so the crane 
crane bird. Uh, it's considered to be the most sacred bird in my homeland. And they uh, dance in the wilderness uh, during the summertime. And it's very rare to see them singing and dancing at the same time. Um, so they come from Japan um, during the springtime. They migrate all over from Japan and um, mate and have a babies. If someone with cancer uh, witness dancing and uh, singing, the crane dancing and singing, we believe that they can cure themselves. So it, it is very uh, sacred for us to do also crane sound. So it sounds like this. So that's a crane flock sound. And when you add a little bit like a um, vibration in it, vibrato, it becomes bigger flock like this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's what is interesting is the um, Japanese people, they do have the same. They, they have uh, a lot of songs and dancing dedicated to this bird or they um, mimic uh, the crane and I just love how we are even living in a different countries, different parts of the earth. We can connect to each other through certain animals and birds that fly uh, far distances. So that's uh, the birds and animal sounds uh, that can make you to travel through lower, middle, and the higher sounds. Mm. Yeah, and there are singing techniques also that connects you, your three worlds. Um, one of them is kalhach. And kalhach, it's um, this yodel, <laughs> right? Um, in Saha culture, we have all the traditional songs um, having that singing technique. And it becomes like a something like a groove. And before each syllable, we have this. This groove. Um, and that for me, um, almost like um, I am connecting my three worlds. It, it brings into feeling that my breath starts from here. And then a fundamental sound, it's in the chest area. And then this yodel is happening here, my head sound. And it becomes, so I feel so connected with my all three worlds as a tree. Because we believe that the tree goes to the lower world with the roots, trunk stays in the middle world, and the crowns of the trees, uh, they uh, go to the higher world. And we even have a special name for that, Al-Lukmas, the tree of life. And then there are those singing techniques uh, that reminds you that all the three worlds are connected. Have you ever tried yodeling? 
I don't know. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, like, huh, hmm, like this. It comes from like a, hmm, like sense of wonder, like try mm-hmm. to bring that sound out. Hmm, hmm. Yeah, right? So it's like a, there's a slight click happening when you do that. And then now try, huh, huh, huh. First, like a, huh, very solid, huh, huh sound. Huh. You see? So that's the first step to do kalha. That's what I usually teach for my students. Uh-huh. And then we just, you see when you said, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so you have this, uh-huh. uh, and then we add a little bit the yodel sound on top of that and it becomes. That, that is the ultimate singing technique. Uh, that's how it sounds sounds like to mm. do uh, kalaha. But I think the next one would be very easy for you to do. Let's try tangalai. So this sound. Comes from my tongue. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel your tongue hits the... Um, area here like a, when your teeth um connects with your palate yeah this one yes 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 <laughs> can you feel there's like um suction yeah like, yeah like a, almost a, you hit with the air uh-huh. and but what what is happening you hit with your top of your tongue that's that palate right and it creates groove <laughs> Alaska. That's a, one of the traditional songs. <laughs> and then, yeah, so it becomes very uh, also fun to do groove while you're singing. And then sometimes I play like this. So our body is truly uh, an instrument. So we can activate certain uh, parts in it and all of a sudden starts sounding in a very strange weird ways so that's what i um teach my students sometimes to mm-hmm. express themselves it's a human expression yeah yeah do you want to share uh, a song that's like native to your people before we move on do you want to share anything there i would love to okay thank you so much yeah. um there's a one song that is very dear to my heart uh called agamalaha and um, that song, I usually start my most of my concerts and workshops from that song. Hopefully you will um, enjoy it. And uh, I'm going just to take you to the sound journey with that song. Okay. Yeah. 
Machtal means thank you in mm. my language. Mahtal. Yeah. So that's a song that um, most of the time brings me to tears because that's what reminds me uh, my home very, very much. And um, before starting my concert, I sing that song and then that's one of the reassurance when I sing that I can connect to, to my childhood memories, to all the knowledge that I've been soaking and absorbing from the elders when I was a child. So it's uh, truly one of the great tools to fall into trance and falling into trance. Is, it's a having journey, like almost like a time and space traveling. It's beautiful. It's There's the experience that we have in our lifetime, but then uh -huh. also the thousands of lives that preceded us in our lineage and our ancestry. And I would love for you to share a little bit more about the power of connecting with our ancestors and how that's really missing in modern society today, uh, what that looks like and what comes from that. Yeah, so that's, um, thank you so much for, for bringing up that topic, very important topic in my life. Because everything that I do um, through my in, being in my mission is the main goal there for me. It's reconnecting to our roots, 
to our ancestors and we we've never lost it we've i believe that well as a trees um we're just looking at the surface but not looking at the underground the roots it's invisible to our eyes but if we dig down we can find almost another tree under the ground right it has almost the same shape as as it it is in the uh, above the ground the root of the tree it's in the under the ground is in the, remember i told you about the fear realm primal survival energy so con- reconnecting to our ancestors quite often requires to face to face uh fear and sit with pain and suffering and uh, there's something um that in a western society you call ancestral trauma and if we look at, out through the history um each ethnicity each nation goes through that process like you and i were sitting here embodying all of our ancestors all the lineages surviving many many uh cold winters or any harsh weather conditions and then all came as who we are today and we are embodying not only their bodies like their eyes or nose and their skin tone but what is really important is um we embody the resilience or or their very special skills um let's say when i sing i feel the presence of my ancestors i feel that there are elder shamans who sing through me and then when they appear i just feel protected i feel the ground or strong ground that i'm standing and at the same time when i'm uh visiting uh or traveling between time and space when i would like to see my homeland it gives me a wings to fly through my imagination so it has a lot of beautiful elements and gifts that we all carry here and i always say we don't borrow from other cultures we all have our powerful ancestors um there are all of them were very close to nature uh they all of them were hunters they knew how to survive and we're all indigenous to the to mother earth um and um we have those dnas we carry those dnas with hidden treasures hidden gifts and through self expression and through sitting with the trauma what they were going through we can awaken um and then all of a sudden when we awaken them it just feels so nice it sometimes brings me into shivers and tears and just being so grateful that i was born in one of the most remote and cold places in the world and i made this journey to come to the united states 5 years ago it took me a lot of uh strength to do that brave step of course i flew here by the plane not like my ancient ancestors who crossed the bering strait and they walked uh and perhaps some of them died on the way but yeah so it's just something that i'm really interested and curious how we can reconnect to our 
tools and there are uh, to our ancestors and then there are tools how to how to connect to our ancestors and uh, my the realm that i serve it's uh, this artistic human expression and uh, through that we can embody our ancestor, ancestral voice and it also comes with the knowledge how we could lead our new world bringing their knowledge their wisdom weaving it into uh, the modern technologies that science invented and in fact all of these technologies that we have today they're well designed by nature all the scientific amazing discoveries they came from from the uh, nature just by simple observation and inventing some tools so i think this is like a perfect time to reconnect to our ancestors and awaken this deep wisdoms that we all wisdom that we all carry and sing it through uh, without oppressing our voice and uh, integrating it to our day-to-day -day life yeah it feels like there's just so much untapped power and potential there to access that uh, we're often just oblivious to but nonetheless it's still there you know and um, like you spoke to, it I feel like it requires being able to face those fears and mm -hmm. address the trauma that you want to yeah. put under the rug. You know, of course, we've been passed down many different challenges. We've we also been passed down many different gifts and skills, like you said, which are important to cultivate and discover. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Anything you want to share there? And then also, you know, facing death as Snow Raven is somebody that deals with a lot of death and rebirth. Death is a topic that we all are going to face. It's a reality that we're all mm -hmm. going to face. And I'm just curious how you navigate or support people with their fear of death. They're like reading my mind right now. So it's <laughs> death for me. Um, it's a part of the cycle of life, right? It's um, it equals for me to the birth. Um, later, I was just sitting and meditating on that death, the, the the phenomena of death, and what is it. And it's one of the existential questions of the humanity. Perhaps we would never answer to that question, but everyone has own perception, own um, comprehension of that. And for me, it's um, when we come to this world, uh, the little babies going through the womb, uh, being in the womb of our mothers in that very comfortable, warm, surrounded by water space, and it's dark, right? It's dark. And then when the the birth starts, the, the time comes for us to appear in this middle world. And that darkness, you can see how the light comes out. It's almost like a tunnel. And then we go through that tunnel and perhaps we experience the great pain there because it's a small place that we go through, through our mothers and our scalps are like a squishing and... Uh, our mother's experiencing pain, we're experiencing, and perhaps we think that, oh my God, we're dying. You know, after nine months, after going off all the interesting state of evolution, um, from being a little organism and then animals and then human baby, and then here we are, we're dying. <laughs> and then it turned out to be, we came to this world. <laughs> to the middle world, to the tangible world, to continue our journey. And then everyone has this beautiful experience that I call life. And since it, it, it feels like 
since we came here, we start dying. It's almost like a, there is a, this spiritual meaning to that, like impermanence, everything changing and dissolving in this world. So we kind of step into that um, realm and the entire life, it becomes a journey and it comes into the point uh, where we transit again. And then that phenomena, it remains so mysterious uh, for me that I can just touch glimpse of that and perhaps come with some explanation or some amazing observation of what, what is the death. For me, that constantly happens um, while even right now I'm talking, my cells are dying and being reborn, dying and reborn. So it's a part of the cycle. And uh, what my people did, as an example, I would like to bring again my people, Saha people, they constantly were facing death, Co constantly were working with fear of death. Imagine surviving in minus 96, very cold, and if you know, if you don't know how to um, put the right clothes on, or your car is broken in the middle of the road and there is no other cars passing by, you are in the middle of nowhere, you just die. And we, the mortality of people back in a, uh, was two generations behind me, so back in the ninety till nineteen fifties. Uh, the mortality of people was high, specifically kids, because um, it is natural selection. And my grandfather, he's one of the seven survivors among 12 kids. And a role of woman in, in our society in, back in a, like two generations behind me, uh, they were um, giving birth as soon as they have a moon cycle, first moon cycle. And quite often they would give more than 10 children and half of them only will survive. So my grandfather was born and raised in that harsh conditions. I was born in a more civilized world with electricity that my grandfather brought. Uh, and um, so this constant facing of fear of death and sometimes facing death made my people to surrender to natural cycle of life and hear and listen and follow the uh, changes in the environment. When sun sets, we go to sleep. When sun rises, we wake up. And perhaps that was the most efficient and survival, um, effortless way to live um, around that area. Even the mortality was high. That They found a way how to sustain and survive. Versus being here, um, I'm constantly, you know, surrounded by comfort zone. Um, this uh, being in the city and uh, using the modern technologies. And we honestly um, contemplate with death too, with all of the inventions, scientific researches. And then every single, you know, day I, I hear some interesting discoveries and explorations around human life and how to, uh, you know, anti-aging or how to uh, take our consciousness and, and 
leave it here and come back. So there's this whole interesting uh, experiences that I do as that we do as a human beings, and just having a little um, dancing with the energy of the death. It's really really fascinating. I um, I can bring only this. Um, information about the death, but I'm sure someone, uh, some cultures like Tibetan, Tibetans, uh, they have the whole entire book, right? Tibetan Book of the Dead. So each culture has interesting view on that. Yeah, it's something that I think we're removed from having to face that reality and something that in Western culture don't, individuals yeah. don't think about a lot. And it feels like, you know, our ancestors had to face that reality much more. And it feels like the closer you are to the possibility or reality that you are mortal and that you will die the more reverence and appreciation you can have for life uh which makes you feel more alive you know when you realize that you're mortal when you realize that you could die at any point then you start to pay attention and you're way more present to your reality so i think that another thing i'd love to bring up and get your perspective on is indigenous wisdom that would be applicable to modern times, you know, and kind of the intersection and the crossing of both. The statistic that I read the other day was really interesting that kind of put things into perspective for mm. me, saying that Earth is 4.6 billion years old. And if you were to put that on a time scale of 46 years, we as a human species have been here for only four hours. And with that, the industrial revolution started about one minute ago. And in that time, we've destroyed over 50% of the world's forests, which is heartbreaking. It really puts things in context for where we're at and how unsustainable the path we're currently on is. And so I'm just curious to hear a little bit of uh, having such deep roots and connections to your ancestral and indigenous wisdom. What pieces of advice or reflections you think are important during these times where we've lost our way in, in so many different ways? Wow, those are shocking numbers. Wow, I just sat with that while we were talking and just realizing um, the indigenous communities that survived today, that who kept their traditions till today without that much transformation and changes, um, but kind of following more the changes on earth and um, preserving the wisdom and knowledge how to survive. Um, those indigenous communities today, I think, um, they're like a portals, how to connect to earth. There, there, there is a knowledge, deep knowledge, how to um, take care of our home. And I'm sure Earth is going to be okay without us. It can create floatings, earthquakes, volcano eruption, and we'll, we'll be gone if it's that devastating. But we will not be okay without uh, Earth, our home. And I quite often see it as a Earth, is, uh, our body is an analogy. Like this is also our home. This is Earth. Uh, this is our planet, and in a bigger scale, this planet is our home. Uh, my body, uh, this vessel, 
for many many generations to come through it's also our home so i feel that there's some change in the air where the western culture is becoming very curious and also creating safe platforms um uh, an environment for indigenous people to step in and share their knowledge and wisdom. And it's all earth-based because um, what most of the communities did, they preserved their, their relationship with plant medicines and how to deal with um, the spirit of plant medicine, uh, which they show through their ceremonies and through the the lifestyle they they have living in a very um, remote and survival places. So the ecosystem that indigenous people have um, with their, with, within their communities, they're all linked with elements of earth. And we know the elements uh, from the Hindu tradition, like uh, air, water, fire, ether and earth right uh, those five elements also exist in a lot of cultures in my culture we we'll call it call it kutsur um, and so all of these elements those are like a bricks the, the little pieces that we create our home our society and um um, the indigenous tribes they quite often have a lot of knowledge how to build our society, how to create a relationship with earth and with each other as a human species. And um, some of them are shared, some of them are not shared uh, because there is this fear that some of the wisdom could be um, brought to the mainstream, uh, not in the right time. It could be damaged or destroyed or transformed into something else. Uh, for that, I think... If we learn how to create safe space for indigenous people and Westerners come together and just hug each other, cry through, um, forgive each other, to find the ways how to heal each other and how to heal the earth. Um, so I think there are a lot of uh, ways to reduce that 50%. <laughs> that you mentioned, but there is this tr problem to feel safe from both sides and truly uh, sit with it and heal our wounds. And specifically what happened towards the many, many indigenous communities, many indigenous tribes around the world, it's very sad. It brings into sadness and um, it brings into guilt and sometimes blame there's some um aggressive energy could some aggressive energy could be in that realm uh but i think this is the time when we need to kind of come as a brothers and sisters and as a all indigenous to the mother earth no matter which skin color you have and where you were born we are all indigenous to our home to earth so it's uh it's a one of the 
actually very deep wisdom that uh, my people have. Um, and uh, of course, all the technologies around climate change and the way we built our uh, communities. Uh, there are a lot of interesting uh, solutions in uh, within the indigenous cultures. I think those solutions need to be talked about more and shared yeah. on, on, on bigger stages. And it feels so real that just the disconnection that we have from nature and nature is a part of ourselves and part of knowing thyself is to know to the extent of, of what our self is. And if that extends through the natural world, if we're disconnected and we, we're separate from it, then of course we're going to treat it as a resource instead of a living, you know, biosphere mm. that we can commune with and learn from. And, you know, it's just so sad that we're destroying the intelligence of nature on such a rapid rate. And so I think everything that you've been sharing today in terms of how to be able to connect back with our ancestors and the tools that we can use that through our voice and sound and dance uh, are great reminders to be able to connect back into that because as much as we want to look out there and, you know, say the problems out there, really everything starts within first. And so, you know, taking a acknowledging and taking that responsibility of how we can show up better to live more in harmony with nature and and be better stewards in our own worlds first and yeah. um, and then extend that to our communities and the world at large. But um, yeah, it was beautiful. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to share with, within that? Yeah, it's uh, almost also like a taking care of our bodies, right? When we take care of the earth, it just feels so nice. Uh, when we take care, when we become like um, stewards of our servants of the, of the, of the earth, uh, it just um, automatically brings so much light and um, almost like equanimity or inner peace that we're part of this great cycle of life because mm -hmm. we're truly part of um, huge cycle of life and it has all little cycles within it and we're part of this chain of life and uh yeah so it's just we give more and we receive more that kind of uh cycle um it's very i think also important to look at it that way i think i mean just like you said our physical home body is is a microcosm to the macrocosm that is earth and that is also our home and it's like if we're destroying the planet it's also no coincidence we're also seeing more disease and destroying of mm -hmm. our physical bodies simultaneously and how there's so much connection there. Because obviously as we destroy the earth around us and the soil and, and all of that, it comes back into affecting us and the nutrition density in our food and um, and so many different aspects of our life. So, so a lot to ponder on and this whole conversation has been really unique, fascinating uh, to share with our audience. And yeah, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to share? You know, you're obviously traveling a lot, sharing your song and, um, in your work in the world. So just where people can find you and any last notes you have, you want to share before we wrap up? Thank you. Um, yeah, I've been traveling a lot since I moved to the United States and, uh, um, right now I'm doing my very special small tour on a mostly West Coast. And those are more intimate concerts, more like a ceremonial performances. And um, um, I'm also preparing myself for the um, special tour that show that that brings my recently released uh, album called Home. 
You can find it on Apple and Spotify. It contains six songs of my people, traditional in Saha, and also my original songs in English, which I'm very, very vulnerable to put it out because it's my one of the first attempts to write in English. Uh, and then um, I'm working on also an app. It's a creative and educational app that highlights um, the indigenous teachers. So I'm going to put uh, out all of my courses uh, that we, you know, called them called them as a tools for um, archaic techniques of uh, ecstasy or extending of the consciousness. Um, so I, um, I'm going to put those videos um, and I'm going to um, announce everything on my uh, social media and Instagram. Uh, so it's like Snow Raven official. Everything is going to be announced there. Amazing. So exciting to have that out there. We'll put links for things in the description. And again, thank you so much for sharing yourself with us today in the audience. And uh, yeah, sending you love on your journey and excited to see the unfolding of, of how you continue to share yourself. So thank you. Thank you so, so much, yeah. Andre. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. For everybody that's been tuning into the Know Thyself podcast, thank you for coming on this journey of exploring the full spectrum of what it means to be human. Until next time, we'll be well.